I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Pairing Nutrients with Need to Achieve High-Yielding Corn, is being brought to you by TopCon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, the 300 bushel threshold is one which many strip tillers aim for, but few have consistently achieved. Limiting the barriers to harvesting high-yielding corn is an objective for Jeff Harold and his brother Paul on Harold Farms near Wanata, Indiana. The brothers farm 2,300 acres of strip-tilled corn and no-tilled soybeans in the northwest corner of the state, with 75% of their operation under center pivot irrigation. Jeff admits they still have a lot to learn, but strip-tilling 250 bushel corn also doesn't happen by accident. As he says, we've been able to improve each year, adding tools like cover crops, leveraging collected field data to manage inputs, and making some modifications to our planners that have all supported our strip-till operation. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by TopCon Agriculture, Jeff shares his experience-based tips and techniques for making applied nutrients work to achieve high-yielding strip-tilled corn. talking about high yield corn and so we had we're going to talk about a field go through a field and then kind of where we're at in our farm we're going to rewind some and what, where we were at several years ago and then where kind of our mindset is today in 2018. You know we as farmers are wired right to for high yield corn you know that's what we we dream about at night that's what we uh you know our wife's trying to talk to us and we're daydreaming about 300 bushel of corn you know we could be harvesting 500 bushel of corn and selling it for a dollar and be really happy, or we could, or we could be harvesting 100 bushel of corn and, and sell it for ten dollars, right? We'd rather pick that 500 bushel of corn because man, it's cool. Nutrients, uh, fertility. We put 250 units of N, 73 units of phosphorus, 80 units of potassium, 56 units of sulfur, and so that's what really excited me is we didn't throw a bunch of nitrogen out there and it was corn on corn, um, but but really, for me, I think it was. I like to see timing with nutrients. And so our nitrogen timing was put some on pre-plant, planting, side dress, and irrigation. So we're putting it on four different times. I mean, I, I want to do that for one, because we have low CECs and our soils can't handle a lot at one time. And then just to be better stewards of what we have and that we're not leaching this and, and murking up our, our groundwater. And so foliar. We put in a micro blend with the Roundup. We put a micro blend in with the fungicide. We put two, two applications of fungicide and we put 50 units of potassium on through the pivot. And so I see potassium as a really important thing is it is the money mineral and it, 
it, your plant is a luxury uptaker of potassium. And so when I put potassium on, it's gonna, if it's available, it's gonna go into that plant. And for us, it's a little easier to do because we have an irrigation, but you know, you guys probably don't have that luxury of it. And so it, it's really hard, can get challenging how to get potassium into the plant. One thing I see important is even emergence. And so even emergence, several years ago, we had a guy out in our field and we were looking at a corn plant, corn field, and I thought, man, this is really, this is really impressive. You know, and I was kind of pulling my pants up a little and showing them, you know, my field. And so we were looking at the corn stalks and he said, man, what do you think of this? What do you think of this corn? He's like, well, I need to see more number ones. Like number ones, what does that mean? And so he started explaining to me that corn diam the, the diameter of the stalk. And so number one was the big one. Number two is the medium sized one. Number three is the, is the small diameter. And so I had a lot of twos and threes. You know, I, I had some good number ones, but I need to see more consistency and more, num more number ones in my field. And that starts with even emergence. So we're, we're thinking about how do we get even emergence? And so it starts with a good seed bed. It starts with even seed depth. It starts with good soil moisture, even soil moisture. And all these things play a key factor in even emergence. Another thing that I see important is tissue sampling. So we're taking tissue samples about four times a year, depending on the crop. And so I wanna see what's going on in my plant. If the, if the nutrients that I put down, the products that I'm, I'm putting on, the, the jug that this guy sold me, is it actually getting into the plant? So what we struggle with on our farm, and this is gonna be different for you guys, it's gonna be different field types. I was talking to a guy 30 miles away and he said, I struggle with sulfur. He was looking at ours, you know, he, he's putting sulfur on, he just can't get sulfur into the plant. And so you guys are gonna maybe find something different. But what we struggle with is potassium, magnesium, is really hard to get up for us. Boron and zinc. So you can see our potassium level's pretty good. I mean, we're at a three, um, but that number's gonna start dropping really fast. But magnesium, boron, and zinc. And so I know those going in that I'm gonna have to address these nutrients early. And it's a lot cheaper to do it early than it is in season. It's, it's really hard for a plant to go, you know, you, you can't go backwards. You can only go forwards. And so some levels that I'm trying to maintain, kinda. Uh, nitrogen above four. We're split, split applying. You know, if you apply a lot of nitrogen, you can get that number to spike. But I think it's more important to split apply it. And so, you know, you could see back here, we were at 3.3. So we were below our four level. We're about to put nitrogen on. And, you know, that number again will, would go above four. Phosphorus above 0.35, potassium above 2.5. So I think the split applying is, is really important. Sulfur, so we're doing about an eight to one to 10 to one ratio between nitrogen and sulfur. So every time we put nitrogen out there, we're adding sulfur to it. And then this also depends on your soil test. So what my soil tests are showing, but we, we are deficient in sulfur in our soils. We could put a bunch of gypsum on and we can spike on our soil test. And then two years later, it was like we never put it on. So magnesium above 0.25, which I can't do it. I'm trying, but I, I can't keep it above that level what they say, um, the lime that is closest to you do not use. So, you know, my grandfather and my father, we had dolomitic lime really close and we piled on the dolomitic lime. Well, we start looking at our base saturation levels and we're 50% calcium and 35% magnesium. I'm like, man, this is out of whack. And so, you know, this young farmer, he knows what he's doing, you know, trying to tell his dad, what are you, what you've been doing all these years is wrong. 
And so, but he, I convinced him of it. So we started putting high cal lime on, which was more expensive. And we started putting some gypsum on to get our magnesium out of our system. And so that sulfur attached to the magnesium makes magnesium sulfate and then it flushes out the bottom for us. And so, you know, we've been doing that for several years now, but now we're getting to where we're magnesium deficient. So we got levels down below 12% base saturation, 10%. And now we're going back to dolomitic, it's a big word, dolomitic lime and gypsum. So I would just be really careful on gypsum. You can put too much gypsum out. And what we found was one ton is way too much for us. And we started, you know, we want the sulfur, but we're also, you know, that high concentrate is, is really, um, can be detrimental. So just be careful what you guys are doing with gypsum. Zinc, trying to keep above 40, we're split applying it. Uh, boron above 10. So your plant uptakes boron better through the soil until we're applying it in our two by two, in our side dress, in our pivots, rather than a foliar application. And so putting it on through the, through the soil. One thing that really excited me about this field was the soil health. I think that was the key component to this field and how the soil health, how active it was and seeing what's going on below the soil. And so you need to be taking uh, shovels to your field and digging and seeing what's going on, what's going on below. Residue, the residue is gone. I was running out of food source at the end, but my soil was, was converting. My, uh, my saprophytes fungi were breaking down the residue and my earthworms were taking it and, and, and exchanging it and putting it in the ground and exuding it and it was in turn feeding that crop. And so that was really exciting to see. And then root exudates as, as it is releasing carbon and feeding the microbes. They say on, on, a, healthy, on a good day, a healthy corn plant is exuding 40% of its carbon. Why is it doing that? You think, man, it needs, it needs all it can get. Well, it's feeding the biology below. It's feeding the bacteria and the fungi. And so in turn, feeding the fun, fungi, it knows that it's gonna get phosphorus and it's gonna get water and it's gonna get nutrients, as Mike was talking about, mycorrhizal fungi. And so this stuff is really important, but a plant that is not cycling correctly is not exuding, it's, it's saying, I just gotta maintain myself. I can't help anybody else around me. And so that was really exciting in this cornfield to see that. We'll get back to Jeff's discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast series possible, and also introduce a new segment to our series, Technology Tips from Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray Acevedo is a former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture. He focuses on the development of agronomic algorithms and IoT to enable farmers to utilize optical sensor technologies for nutrient management in corn, soybeans, and wheat. Ray will share insights and advice on some of the latest precision tools and how to best implement them on your operation. Today, he offers a tip on working with an agronomist to identify and improve nitrogen deficiencies. And with so much focus being on nitrogen these days, because this is extreme variability observed from year to year and depending on soil type and being extremely costly nowadays, is one of the primary areas of focus for a lot of agronomists and the optic, optical sensors that have been developed. So what I would like to do right now is actually go into what I call the agronomist 
nitrogen recommendation algorithm. And there's a number of optical sensor technologies when they're actually developed behind their core programming. These are some of the steps, or they should at least utilize these kind of steps to in order to assess whether or not your field is experiencing nitrogen stress and if a recommendation should be made. So let's go through this in a step-by-step -step approach. So if I was in the field with you scouting, one of the first things I would do is inquire about the average grain yield you have observed in this field from year to year. And what is your current yield goal? Why is that? Well, if we think about it, final grain yield is the end result of all the interactions observed between crop, soil, and weather. And so by making this uh, question and knowing that you guys know your fields, you understand what kind of yields you're getting, and it's reliable data that I'm getting from you, this really helps me as an agronomist to calibrate for the yield behavioral changes that is observed across your farm, across your fields, and then be able to assess what are the impacts of the variety of weather conditions in response to soil. Then what I do as we're walking around is I utilize remote sensing through my own vision, our own human optical sensors, and start to make the determination, do I visually see nitrogen stress occurring right now? And then after that, I start to consider the soil type, soil textural changes, soil test analysis data, if available throughout this field, in combination with local weather patterns, heavily precipitation, and what this does is this helps me as an agronomist determine the nitrogen loss characteristics for your field. Well, thank you, Ray, for your insight, and again, to TopCon Agriculture. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Jeff Harold, who takes a look back at some of the factors that shaped his transition to strip-till. Well, we're gonna rewind to 2005, and so if you can think back to 2005, I think I had a better memory back then, you know, I could remember dates and remember when the strip-till conference was. I had more hair, you guys may have been a little thinner. They say when you hit 30, you start to gain weight. Well, I haven't, haven't hit that one yet. 2005, I was looking up what happened in 2005 and we had Hurricane Katrina, we had high oil prices. Uh, YouTube was created. How else could we see all those cat videos, right? I've never seen one, but I've heard about them. They sold YouTube in 2006 for one point. $5 billion, is that not crazy? I think we're in the wrong business. One year, 1.5 billion. Um, but 2005, and so we're sitting around the office and we're thinking, you know, the number one question that we're asking ourselves is how do we achieve high yield, right? And how will we achieve? And so we, we looked at a few things. We wanted to eliminate compaction. We had to balance nutrients, good seed bed, water management. And so, you know, we look at ways to, to do that, you know, and this just a generic picture, but we're out there chisel plowing, we're disc ripping, we're taking out compaction. We come in with a field cultivator and we make it pretty. Have you guys ever seen your neighbors just, I mean, it just looks beautiful, right? And so we're making this perfect seed bed. Well, what we started to see was, you know, our planters now are causing compaction. So here's, here's actually a soybean field, but all these lines are where our planters going. I'm like, well, that's not good. We still have compaction issues. So, hey, you know, we'll go buy $25,000 tracks put them on the planter and that will solve our pinch row problems, right? And we'll just be smooth sailing. Then we notice poor water infiltration, right? Why aren't we getting water in the ground? Well, it's compaction, right? Everyone says it's compaction. Things look great if you're a fish. And so that's what got us on the strip till 
strip till. You know, we can minimize our tillage, put our nutrients where we want, make that perfect seed bed. And we started doing this, oh, 2011, 12-ish. And we thought we had hit the Mecca, right, of farming. Like, strip till guys, those are the coolest guys, the smartest guys out there. And we thought we were doing really good. And so I went to a meeting a few years ago, and the farmer meeting, this guy was talking about how he was taking soil tests, and he was tracking his grid sampling, and, you know, two and a half acre grids or whatever, but he was tracking the points from one sample to the other, and he could track these points and say, how am I doing on phosphorus from year to year? If, if these uh, variable rate things are working, you know, is the machine actually working correctly? What's going on out there? And so I thought that was a really good idea. Went home, sat in front of the computer for a while, got all my points all lined up, and found some interesting data. But the most interesting thing that I found was my organic matter. So our shop field, this is some of our, our better soil right around our shop, and our, our organic matter. 2007, we were at 3.05. 2011, 2014, you could just see it drop. By 2015, we were down to 2.57. And that was the aha moment for me was, what am I doing? Right? I thought I was in a system that was really working for me, and here I am going backwards. And so I'm still, I'm still raising good corn, right? but you know, less organic matter means I'm going to have to put more on something. I'm going to have to irrigate more. I'm going to have to put more nutrients on. And so that really got me thinking down a different road. And so I took this picture in Florida. You know, you're driving in the car, you're like, what is this guy doing? And so he's planting melons on this. So what is organic matter? What does it do for us? The NRCS says that 1% of organic matter can hold up to 27,000 gallons of water. It holds 18 to 20 times its weight in water. And so organic matter is really, really important. And I, here I am going backwards. So the question is not, can we grow something? They can grow things on Mars. It's how many resources is it going to take and from where? You know, at some point we're going to run out of resources. And whether that's money, whether that's fertilizer, something's going to give here. And so what are we going to do? This spring I took, I did a little study of what's going on around us. And so I took our shop field, which had cover crops out there, a conventional field right across the road that the guy, full tillage, disc rib, full fertilizer, um, tons of tillage passes, a no-till field, never touched, and then a fence row. So I'm not going to go through all the other data, but the thing that stuck out to me was Look at the organic matter, the fence row, 8.8, 8.8. And so I'm thinking, you know, how did we screw it up to go from 8.8 down to 2.6? What if we were farming 8.8 .8 organic matter ground? I mean, that, that's just mind boggling. So as I said, in 2018, I, I started to ask myself a different question. And the question now is, how can I achieve the highest profit long term? And so it may be profitable for one year, but is it profitable long term? And, and, and really thinking out and thinking as a, as, as a bigger picture. And so we still are looking for high yield, as that is a component to profit. Eliminating compaction, balanced nutrients, good seed bed water management. But now we're thinking on terms of how do we regenerate our soil instead of going backwards and going more forwards, being better stewards of what the resources that we have and then to really increase our soil health and to get that soil working for us instead of us just having to throw everything out there. Thank you, Jeff, for sharing your perspective on the components that contribute to growing high-yielding strip-tilled corn. 
And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for making this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on December 7th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series. And a reminder that you can still register to receive our Strip-Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Jeff Harold, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.